Welcome to Women Waken, a podcast that helps you heal spiritually from trauma in relationships, childhood, and early life conditioning to shift from a place of codependency to a state of divine feminine love, acceptance, harmony, and abundance. On Women Waken, we begin the journey to waken from the illusion of needing to prove our worth into the divine experience of knowing our worth. I'm your host, Whitney Walker. I'm a licensed mental health therapist, and I specialize in substance abuse, addiction, eating disorders, trauma, and spirituality. I'm also a fellow human being who has faced most of the issues that I explore on this show. On today's guest episode, I speak with the lovely Sylvia Araya. Sylvia is a clinical trauma professional, a numerologist, and the author of two books, Trust and Live Without Panic, and Is This What I Really Want? how to go beyond trauma into the relationship you deserve. I came across this book and the title absolutely grabbed me as I connect with it and the concepts within this book so strongly. And Sylvia and I have a fantastic time exploring different concepts, including how trauma influences the partners that we choose, such a pivotal, crucial point to understand. How do you find real love and what does healthy love and relationships really look like. So take a listen and enjoy. Hello, Sylvia. Welcome to the Women Weekend podcast. Hi, thank you so much for the invitation for having me. It really is something that I've been looking forward to. Me too, Sylvia. I was so excited to read your book. You just wrote a book, published a book. It's called, Is This What I Really Want? How to Go Beyond Trauma into the Relationship You Desire. And I believe that you were on somebody else's podcast. Was it Jean Sullivan? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and she made a post about your her show with you. And I saw that part of the book and I thought, oh my gosh, I need that book because as things work, I had just kind of had this light bulb moment where I was thinking I had just met this guy that I was kind of into. He was not reciprocating. He was being kind of aloof and indifferent. And I was wondering like, why am I even interested in him if he's not interested in me? And then I saw your title and it just hit me where I was like, it's not me that's picking these people. I'm not picking my romantic interest based on my highest self, based on my highest values. It's coming from a place of deficit, of fear. And so when I saw your title, I was like, I need to get my hands on that. And it's a fantastic book, and I appreciate you so much for writing it. Yeah, it's it's so true when you realize that um, there's a lot of parts that are involved in picking a partner and being in in a partnership. And it's not just your internal parts. We're talking about family. You know, we're talking about ancestors. We're talking about trauma. We're talking about so many things. So I, when I started to think about all of that, I realized, okay, no wonder I've been in this relationship. No wonder I've been choosing someone who resembles my grandfather and unconsciously, clearly, or, you know, no wonder I've been choosing someone that is just reminded me of this trauma, this situation in my childhood, whatever. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's illuminating this whole progressive, 
progression of events and beliefs that were developed that lead us here, right? But that's what's powerful about this book and about this sort of work is that if you can identify it, if you can see it and see, then see the pattern, the chain reaction of events, you can change it. You can change the way that things are going. So Sylvia, I would love for you to share a little bit. You speak in the book about your personal story. And if you could kind of offer to people, how did you, or what were sort of your patterns? We'll start with that. What were sort of your patterns and where did you realize they came from? Yeah, I'm, I'm, as I was saying just before we started, I'm I'm very open about my personal experiences because first of all, I want to tell people you're not the only one. And also I want to say to all coaches and therapists out there, like, yes, you're not the only one as well. I felt really bad at some point in my life um, choosing these partners and also being a therapist and being a psychologist and all the things. We can get into that later. I I started a lot of, uh, since I was very young, I was just fantasizing marriage and just, I wanted to be married. I wanted to have a partner. And every single time I would choose men that did not reciprocate, men who were not available. So I think that's where I started. I started by just getting all in everything, my heart, my soul, I would put on the table and um, they were just not available or they were not in the same place. And even if they were for five minutes, then rejection would come, then abandonment would come and just took me back to the same place where I was when I was a little girl. And so I say that that's how it started, just me being um, very open and with people who were not open. Yeah. And so that can really develop a sense of questioning ourselves, right? If we, you know, sort of have this idea, which is, it's interesting to think about where these where these tendencies or these desires come from at such an early age, right? Another thing you spoke to is, you know, you mentioned like always wanting to have a boyfriend and thinking you needed that and then feeling like you weren't received the way you wanted to be, wanted to be somebody who the boys wanted, you know, all the boys wanted and that you wanted to connect with and you didn't feel that. I related a lot to your book because we have very similar stories. I feel like I came into this world being like, here I am boys. Like I'm, I want to, you know, I want to be the the girl that all the guys are drawn to and that they like. And I was literally the exact opposite. I was the ugly ducky, duckling that all the guys made fun of and said was ugly. And I was devastated, devastated that that was the case. I too was like, I can't wait to have all the boyfriends, all of them. And I had zero of them. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, like why that is, why some people are more like that or not at such an early age. But it's also important to look at how much that impacts us. Early life is where our foundational beliefs about ourselves are really set and developed. So it may seem just kind of silly, right? Like, oh, I thought I was going to be, you know, this beautiful butterfly and I was a caterpillar, but it really affects what we think about ourselves because being rejected by our peers at a young age is, has a huge impact on us. It does. The way our parents uh, relate to us, the way our friends relate to us and peers relate to us, all of that just molds the way we see the world and how we see ourselves, just like you said, and how we relate to others. And, and so I just discovered not too long ago, uh, a lot about myself, just, just noticing that my parents are bo both, um, they have avoidant attachment styles. And I think from there, I just developed this anxiety about relationships and just wanted to be close to someone. 
and and I'm feeling that like how does it feel to be loved and how does it feel to to hear someone tell you that they love you not that my parents don't love me but they just don't they're not very expressive and especially not on my love language which was which is physical um emotion you know hugs all of that and uh, so I think I what I had that lack I had that desire to be loved and to feel loved and that's how I came across I I guess to everyone and just like you said you know I I was not feeling good about myself and on top of that I was told all the time nicknames I'm, I mean I can tell you lots of things that people would say about me about my nose and my hair and and I developed late also so all my friends my girlfriends were looking very beautiful as young women and I was still looking like a little girl next to them and so all the boys were noticing them and not noticing me and that made me even more uh, self-conscious and insecure so high school high school was terrible for me I hated high school <laughs> because everyone was starting to uh, discover those those areas of their lives sexuality and, and relationships and I was uh, I was not, I was in deep depression. <laughs> so for me, those were the dark years, um, mostly. Yeah, absolutely. And I relate to that as well. And I think what's challenging, you know, and as, as, as a therapist in my work, I work with a lot of teens. And when you're that student, that, you know, individual, that teenager who gets picked on, who gets bullied, then high school just becomes a daily trauma environment. Exactly. Because you're forced to go there. That's how I felt. And I think that's, again, I really advocate for the idea that bullying is way more impactful than we realize. Being rejected by your peers is more impactful than we realize. Because again, you're forced, you're told like, no, you have to go to school and you have to sit in these classes where people are calling you names and people are launching. And it hurts just like, like they say, sticks and stones break your bones. But I say that words do so much more because they get into, again, your belief about yourself. When you're told these things over and over again, it really messes with you. And I mean, I'm kind of shedding light on just how badly I was traumatized by my trauma and, uh, or by, you know, by the bullying that I received. Um, and it just makes it really unpleasant and it makes you so doubtful. And I, you know, we can get into this, but talk about trauma picking your partner. It it's kind of creates this foundational base of, okay, well, no one wants to love me. So I'll take whatever I can get. I'll beg for it. I'll do what I have to do to get it. I will accept low grade love, uh, unhealthy love. No, I will, really, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. That, well, first of all, I didn't know who I was um, because I was always trying to be someone else. I was trying to get everyone to like me. Um, it's again, starting with my parents because I felt like they didn't love me, although they did, but I was always trying to prove myself worthy of their of their love and then I translated I put that on my friends and then I you know I moved it around and like you said it's just that the begging the 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 put myself out there like a like a rug you know walk all over me if you need to but I just want to feel loved I just feel I just want to feel that I'm worthy of love and and of course then that's what you're putting out there without knowing and then you uh, come across these people that will do that. And then that gets reinforced even more into your psyche. It's like, yeah, that is true. I'm not lovable. I'm not enough. I'm not beautiful. I'm not this. I'm not that. And so it just, it, it, it's like it, the, the hole keeps getting bigger and bigger. 
Yeah. It really reinforces that, right? You're like, huh, well, I guess this is all I, I can get, right? Because I knew it. I'm not attractive. I'm not desirable enough. I'm not good enough. So of course, this is all I'm going to get. Yet, if you take a broader look around, who people end up with doesn't always have to do just with their outward appearance, their status. All It has a lot of different factors. And usually, fundamentally, it's about what that person feels and believes about themselves. Those who truly know their value are not going to tolerate people who don't treat them as they know they deserve to be treated. When we incur trauma that chips away and causes doubt about our value, whether we know it or not, we are operating at a level of, again, like this, my worth is low. So if anybody comes around, I'm going to let them in because what, what else could I expect to get? And that's a detrimental way of thinking because we all deserve a bare minimum, someone who's going to respect us and be kind and not be abusive or manipulative or cruel or, you know, disrespectful, any of those things. Yet, if we just can't in our heart of hearts believe that we deserve true, respectful love, how can we have something that we don't believe in? Yeah. And, and, and like I said, it just reflects on you. I made it through, if we keep going chronologically, I made it through my high school, you know, barely, I guess, and went into college thinking, this is it, you know, this is my my big break. Now I, I can have what I want. I'm a grown up and all those things. And again, just because I felt a little different on the outside and superficially, but all that trauma, all of that, all those beliefs were still there. And so I found my first uh, meaningful, I guess, or deep relationship in my early 20s with someone who was just not available, a great guy and, you know, all those great qualities that he has. But he was not available. He was not open for love or for commitment. And and again, those beliefs that, you know, this is all I'm getting. I mean, this is the only guy that looked at me and wanted to date me. And so I'm going to do everything I can to keep him because I don't think I'm going to find someone else. Yeah, that scarcity mentality. And mm-hmm. um, And so I tolerated a lot of things. And I, that's when I started having my panic attacks too my anxiety was through the roof because I was having all these insecurities that we were talking about. And on top of that, he would disappear on me on the weekends mysteriously. Um, and, and I remember sitting there just, oh, I hated myself. I didn't know what to do. But again, I thought to myself, well, this is a great guy. He's clearly way better looking than me. I'm not going to do better than him ever, forever. So I'm just going to stay here and and endure this, um, even if he's cheating on me or he's just not being communicative or whatever. Yeah. And that's such a dangerous or risky place to be in. And, I, and it's a place that a lot of women find themselves in, unfortunately, is that place of, well, I can't let this go. And then it becomes this sort of you know, always, well, we just need to get over this. Like maybe if if he, if I do this and he'll, he'll change a little bit and it's going to get better. It's going to get better just after this or after that. And you think you keep hoping when you're in that situation that they're going to change. Oh, it was 11 years of that. It was 11 years of me saying, well, you know, we're young. He's young. Yeah. He just needs time. He will mature. And then he will commit. 
And, and, and like I said, and, and if I look better, and if I do this, and if I do that, and if I'm more open, and, and I, I'm not an open person. I'm, and in the, in the sense that I am not open for having, um, you know, multiple partners at the same time. I, I'm, I like one person at a time and, and he did not. And I was like, well, maybe I need to change that. Right? Maybe I need to become more like him, for example. I need to be more adventurous. I need to be more risky. And it's just not in my nature. Mm. Um, I have a four <laughs> in my numerology. And, and there's that part of me that is very, you know, squared, if you want to say it. But um, I did, I try to change a lot of myself just to fit, just to fit with him. And it was, and it felt like it was just never enough because he kept running away. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a lonely and really defeating feeling. Like, I think, I think the sense of like feeling sunk almost when, and you know, this very well could go back to our childhood. If we feel shut down, you know, as a child, if you try to share something you're excited about in your idea and someone's like, can you just be quiet? Can you not talk? And you have that like closed down feeling. It's the same thing that I felt in relationships where I feel like somebody I can't really, if I try to speak to something that I care about and they're just like, oh, okay. And then I kind of have that, like, well, I guess who am I to have these thoughts and ideas, or I guess I can't really, it's stupid anyways. Right. So like, look who you are today, right? You're, you're an author, you're a clinical trauma professional. You've done, you've written two books, right? I'm sure in that initial relationship, there was times where you're like, oh, well, yeah, I don't really have idea. It's fine. Or, you know, you're saying like, you try to sort of keep yourself small. Cause I know after reading your book that this guy was also a psychologist, right? So were there oh, times this, where you this felt is like- my second relationship? I haven't even gotten there, but yeah. Oh, I, okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. But you're right. It's, um, there was this moment in my life where not only him that we will get into, but there was this professor, and not that you mentioned the author part, there was this professor who was one of my um, tutors for my dissertation. And she said to me, you can't write. You will never be able to do this dissertation. You're gonna have to, yeah, she said this, you're gonna have to hire someone to write this for you because you just can't write. And that was engraved in my head for so long. Again, like just talk about that, external dialogue that becomes internal dialogue and and all of that was in there so when I published my first book I was in relationship with this other guy and I remember him telling me exactly the same thing he's like this is no good you you, you need to find someone that can edit this because I, this is like uh, like sort of okay and now when I look at myself I'm like okay I, I I've done what everyone told me that I couldn't do, I've done it. <laughs> and I probably haven't. <laughs> but anyway, it's just, again, going back into how those traumas keep coming back in your life until you are, until you face them, until you heal them, until you love them. Yeah. Um, but I'm sorry, because I just interrupted you with the second story there. No, yeah, no, I want, I want to hear from you. <laughs> I want you to share all your things. But it just reminds me of the the idea that it is very important because when, as you're just sharing that, I thought of my own experiences and I think people who find themselves, because often a unhealthy or toxic relationship, abusive relationship, it's not like the first day they're verbally, physically abusive. It's like this slow descent into it. And so it's very important for us to really write ourselves in reality in terms of what's 
appropriate and what's not. Cutting somebody down about what they are passionate about or what they want to create is not a kind, respectful, supportive thing to do. It's not what occurs in a healthy relationship. And I offer this because again, if we have our own self-doubts, we'll make excuses. We'll say, well, they're just trying to help me or, well, you know, maybe they have a point or, well, you know, they were just irritated today on and on and on. We'll make excuses for what is flat out, just not good behavior, not appropriate, not loving behavior, not what exists within a loving, healthy relationship. Yes, I and and this is perfect because then we can get into this other relationship that was very important for me. It was very hard and it's it's there in the book. But at the same time it was very important because that's that's when I really hit the bottom. And just like you said, all of those insecurities and all that trauma and everything that I had carried before I took into this relationship. I was desperate. I was in my early 30s and so I felt that I was well, late 20s and early 30s, I felt that I was getting old and all those things. Other circumstances were also happening in my life that I think made me more vulnerable. But so I entered this relationship with this man who, like you said, was oh, is also a psychologist. And I thought, well, you know, this has got to be it because he has the knowledge and he has the, you know, the title and all of that. And just like you said, it doesn't come... The first day, it it took me a whole year to see the real him or this side of him. And so it wasn't until we moved in together, then I realized, oh, okay, this is not the man that I've been dating. What is happening? But I was just, again, so invested. I had left my family. I had moved to another country. Um, I, I left my practice. I sold all my furniture again, same pattern. I'm taking everything I have just to be with this person because he had the, you know, kindness to even look at me that I'm getting old, you know, quote unquote, now I'm getting old, but anyway, all those things running through my head. And then he would do little stuff, just little things in such a smart way. That it's like what you say, then you start questioning yourself and start instead of questioning what's happening. And that's when I really understood the meaning of gaslighting in that relationship. That's when I really understood the meaning of abuse. And even I then I remember saying, Oh, I don't know how these women do it. Like I would leave the second a man treats me badly. Oh, I'm just taking my things and I'm leaving right away. Yeah, right. Say it when you're there. <laughs> it's a different story. Now I have a lot of sympathy for per the people that are in those types of relationships because it's not easy to see it so so clearly. It's like what you're saying. The story of the frog that is in, in the water and the water is just getting hotter and hotter, but you don't feel it until you're boiling. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then you're so miserable. And that's when people finally jump out, right? They'll get out when they realize I'm just miserable in every respect. I don't feel good in my body. I don't feel good mentally. I don't feel good emotionally, physically. Right. And again, I think it's just so important for people to hear this because it, that creep, the way it creeps up on you, you really do have to force yourself to reframe your reality. I know what I've started doing is I, I, talk to so many people who are, as you are now in healthy relationships. And if you, what I found is if you talk to people in healthy relationships, they feel safe and secure. They are not with somebody 
who's going to make them feel anxious about whether their true feelings for them, their true intentions, their support, their respect for them. Every relationship is going to have challenges. There's no two humans that can connect and not have. That's what life is. That's we learn from our relationships, but it's about having open, truthful communication because in those unhealthy relationships, because, and I've spoken to this on my podcast and it ties into what you speak to in your book. When we've met somebody and it, we recognize that it's unhealthy, it's because we're both individuals are in a unhealthy place, right? I re- I've realized that for myself is because we can be so quick to point the finger, right? Well, that person was so abusive and so toxic. They were awful. Well, if you didn't have some of that going on for yourself, you would never have tolerated it and stayed within it, right? And it sort of speaks to your book. It's like, you're still in your trauma space. You're still in that wounded space where you're needing to get your needs met. And so is that person. And then you're just in this endless cycle of like each person just wanting to get their wounds soothed and healed through like using the other person, which is not what a relationship is about. You can raise each other up, but nobody can heal another person. We have to heal ourselves. So in those unhealthy ones, it's just this back and forth of like, do this for me. No, you do this for me. And it's this push and pull. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I do. Um, I'm so grateful for this relationship. I'm grateful to, to this man um, because it taught me so much. It was hard, but it, yeah. it really taught me to connect with myself because I, and up until that moment, I thought I had, and maybe for little moments here and there in my life, you know, in my twenties, when I was going through panic attacks, I started my spiritual and personal growth journey. And that gave me some tools and information. And, but, um, I haven't really connected with myself until I was in that situation. Like you said, I realized, oh my God, we're both here. So wounded, so in need of love and, and, you know, assurance, right? Exactly. All of that. And so we were just in this, like you said, in this very hurt space, the two of us, or he was hurting me. Maybe I was hurting him too in, in another way, you know. But um, in that moment, I realized either I stay here with this person getting yelled at, getting told every single day how thin I am, and that it doesn't look attractive, or I just take what I've learned throughout these years and I and I really do it this time. And I really connect with myself and I really learn to love myself. So it was, it was a situation of, okay, either I do this or I'm going to die inside in this relationship mm-hmm. and stay here forever, because that's, that's where it was heading. I was, I was heading into just not being happy at all and just doing things because I had to do it, being miserable. I mean, I can't even remember. It was such a long time ago. Just, just feeling, just crying all day anxiety, depression, all the things. Um, so I think that in that moment, I took all the strength I had. And that's, it takes a lot of strength to get out of a situation like that. It does. It does because you become so attached to that person. Even if it's in an unhealthy way, it's still an attachment. It's still a connection. And, you know, I, I talk about this a lot, whether or not love is actually present in unhealthy relationships. But I think regardless of that, you still, you feel something for them. You have emotional ties with them and that can, whether it's real love or not, it feels like it. Right. 
I know when I've left unhealthy relationships, you would think that you'd be like, woohoo, it's over and let's have a parade and celebrate. But you're, I was devastated. And that just caused more mess in my mind. Cause I was like, how can I be upset about leaving somebody who treated me so poorly? Somebody that made me question myself, somebody where I didn't feel honored and respected and seen, but you are attached. And you know, it's, it just like any addiction. I, you know, I talk a lot about love addiction and when you're in a toxic relationship, it's addictive. You get addicted to, because just as you're, you're the person you're describing that you were dating, I'm sure he had a little bit of re um, intermittent reinforcement, right? Like, Oh, wow. Well, you do look beautiful tonight. Wow. What did you do different? You look, and then you're like, Oh my gosh. Oh, it's like a hit. Right. But then they take it away. And then it's like, Oh, did you, what? Okay. Well, you're not looking as good. Right. So that sort of thing, you get your body, your whole system gets addicted to that cycle and letting it go. I, I found, I don't know about you, but when I first left those relationships, I could only think about the good things that I missed, right? Like, oh, but they were so sweet sometimes. And, you know, sometimes they really made me feel good. And, and you spoke about in your book. It wasn't all bad. You guys had great trips together. You had great days together. And for some reason, not when it's over is like what kind of sits in your, the forefront of your brain, not all the terrible treatment and abuse. You're like, oh, but like, I love them. I thank you so much for bringing this up because this is, um, I guess the part that a lot of people don't understand when they're looking from outside is like, why are you in this relationship? Why are you with this person? And it's like, because it's not all bad. It's like what you're saying is that is, is it's even more addictive when you're not getting treats all the time, you know, thinking like the dog getting the treats, right? It's when you get them every now and then, because it makes you expecting like, when's it going to come? Is it going to be this time? Is he going to wake up? like being, um, you know, happy today or not, right? And so you're just there expecting all the time. And when it does happen, it's just so rewarding because you've been waiting for it for so long that it's just like, oh, it's like, oh, manna from heaven, right? So it's it's so weird. And like you said, it, it is addictive. And then not of it, not all of it is bad. He's not a demon. He's not, he's just a, a very uh, hurt, wounded person. So sometimes that part of me would also see that part of him and be like, oh, but he's just a child that suffers. I mean, and I would look into his eyes and I would see his soul. And then I'm like, well, no, he's not all bad. I'm going to wait again. I'm going to wait. Let's go to therapy. And we would go. We had like six different therapists. <laughs> and again, it's like that push and pull that keeps you there. The double messages, the, the you know, the double things here and there that keep you there. And then the leaving, you're absolutely right. It took a lot. It took a lot of people also for me to like support for me to get out of there financially and physically, emotionally. But also when I was back home and, and I was missing him, like just what you said, I was missing him. And I was like, well, it wasn't that bad. And of course I had him call me, uh, calling me and telling me, Can you come back, baby, please come back. It's going to be better this time. I'm going to try harder. And then that in those moments, then there comes that selective am uh, amnesia. That's how I call it. Selective amnesia. <laughs> so you select only the good memories in that because and that part of you wants you to come back. Yeah, because that is, you're essentially getting what your younger self always wanted. That person who feels like they're looking right at you and saying, I see you and I just want you, only you. Because the truth is that's only something that 
unhealthy people do. In a loving relationship, they'll say, I love you, but they're not going to try to make you feel because that's manipulation. When you're trying to make somebody say like, I can't live without you. I have to be with you. That's coming from their own, their fear of like, well, what can I do to keep this person? But again, if we're wounded as well, that's going to feel like heaven. Somebody who's like, no, it's just you. I have to be with you. You And to, again, our little selves, it's like, oh, really? Like, I'm that special that you need me. And if we're already hurt and sad. So this is why, again, you were saying like people from the outside are like, are you crazy? But that's why it's so hard to leave these relationships because we are hurt inside. We haven't healed yet. And this feels like the medicine, the drug that's going to help us feel the way we always wanted to feel. And breaking out of that takes so much strength and courage to finally break free and decide if I want to heal these wounds, I'm the only one that can do it. Not some man who's tall, dark, and handsome and tells me that I'm everything he ever wanted because that's not real, right? That's just somebody who's trying to figure out how they can get their needs met again by telling somebody what they need to hear. Yeah. And then on top of that, on top of that, we have isolation and we have all those other things in my case, uh, a lot of my friends stopped talking to me uh, because of this relationship. They they didn't like the guy. They didn't like what I was doing, and they just stopped talking to me. Now I I you know I ask them, and they say, "Well, I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to help you, so I just stepped aside. I didn't know how to handle this, so I stepped aside." And so that would make me even more attached to him because I was becoming more and more isolated. And the people that didn't uh, distance themselves from me, he would push away. And he also isolated me from some people, family, friends. And so when you're that isolated, when you're not listening to your voice, when you're not, you know, it's easier to just turn to this person because this is the only thing I have left. He's the only one who shows me a little bit of love, even if it is every now and then. I do have to say that those tools and this, those resources and those books that I read early on, they really helped because even though I couldn't remember in that moment, the seed of all of that was there. And I could see that if I water that enough and I was being attentive to that part of me, it would grow and it, and it grew. It grew at some point where I was starting to feel again, like strong. And it wasn't, it wasn't a um, a violent breakup or anything. It was just like you said, it was just my decision. One day after all that process, it's not magical, but after all that process, it's like, you're going to feel strong enough to say, you know what? This is not what I really want because I've had, and, and, I'm, and here I'm going to go to the book. I've had enough of what I don't want so much that I now know exactly what I really want. Unfortunately, we have to go through that first sometimes. We have to know that I don't like chocolate to see that I do like strawberry or whatever it is. Definitely. Yeah. And it, and it takes the time that it takes, unfortunately, you know, and I think it's, it's hard for those on the outside. You said that friends and family stop talking to you. Again, kind of the same thing when someone's stuck in addiction. At first, they'll try to help them, but eventually they have to say, you know, I, I've i tried. I would love to help you, but it seems like you're not open to it. So I'm going to, they call it detaching with love, right? Where it's like, I love you, but you're you're deciding to stay in this really dangerous, unhealthy zone. So I got to 
I got to let go. And, and, and it really does take the time. And it, and again, just like addiction, it has to be that person's awareness. You can't get healthy for somebody else. You can't be like, okay, I'll leave them because like my friends don't like them. You'll either go back to them or you're, you'll find someone else just like them. It has to, I mean, to me, it really, it's a soul level. Your soul is hitting up. You're connecting enough with your soul that you're realizing I don't have to live this way. And this actually isn't helping me align with my true essence and self, making me feel loved and good about who I am. It's actually doing the opposite. I feel terrible who I am. I'm doubting myself all the time. I feel like I have to compromise myself. I feel scared all the time that I'm going to upset this person, that they're going to all of a sudden, it's going to be a bad day and they're going to be mean to me. That's no way to live. And it's like that light comes on where we say, well, then why am I living this way? Yeah. And we realize because I keep choosing it. And then we can finally say, well, maybe I'll make a different choice. Yes. And and when we say choice, I think you and I know that it's not like, oh, I'm just going to make a choice. There's a lot behind it because I remember saying all the excuses in the world saying, oh, I just, I don't have enough money, right? Because part of the, the dynamic of the relationship is that he was making all the money and I wasn't because it wasn't my country, oh, you know, it's a long story, but so mm -hmm. I didn't have any money. So I was like, how am I going to live here? I don't even have money for the, for the plane ticket um, or what am I going to do? I don't have anything to go back to. I sold my apartment and left my business and do, you know, and all of the little excuses that we put there or that we have that there, are, um, because again of this trauma, the beliefs that we have, all of that needs to be healed and addressed before we even make that decision that we're talking about. That decision is just the end product of all of this work that we're doing with ourselves first, the empowerment, the accepting ourselves, the loving ourselves, the nurturing our inner, inner child, listening to our intuition. That decision is just that end product, but it's not, it's not something that happens tomorrow. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, deciding to get healthy, but I do think that people, I think you can decide to get sober or leave a relationship before you've done the work. Like, I think that can be like the inception point, but then I think in order to actually feel good about yourself and have a healthy relationship, that's what requires the work. And so that you're able to keep making that choice of, okay, here's another person pursuing me, but I'm feeling that same sense of, you know, they're trying to cut me down a little bit. They're trying to be a little bit aloof. I'm going to say, no, I'm going to say no to this person because I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about myself, right? So it's doing that work and keeping ourselves out of situations that, and connections that don't make us feel good about ourselves. And, the, and thank you again, because this is definitely true because there's work after. Like to me, there was work before the decision. I left the relationship and then I came back home and I'm like, okay. I'm done. I, I'm done. I did it. I, you know, this challenge, this, this, this big, you know, situation in my life. Woohoo. Right. Good for me. No. Then the PTSD came. Yep. <laughs> and then, yeah. then there's more work that you need to do because then it's like you're saying, then the real work begins mm -hmm. because now you really have to face yourself and have to face all those things that took you to that relationship in the first place because if you don't do that like you said most likely you're going to end up with someone either that person or someone very like that person so mm -hmm. I remember thinking oh gosh I did it I'm back home I'm safe and then the flashbacks would come and then the constant alertness and then all of those things and then feeling still like I didn't like my body 
I had to do a lot of work on myself after the relationship. So I didn't um, feel bad about myself, but also like what you said, when he called me, because he did, that I could feel that I could say no, that I could, that I, that I could feel in my heart, sure, this is not what I really want. The answer is no. I can really hear it in my heart. I don't want to go back to that. I'm I'm sure about that. And no matter how many cars and flowers you want to give me. <laughs> yeah. And it, it really does take strength because you know, I know when I've been there, I I part of me wants to go because it almost feels it feels familiar, right? And again, it feels it's that drug aspect that it's that this is what you always wanted with somebody who desired you so much, who is saying all these things, like, just take me back, baby, and everything will be better. And again, it's like music to our ears. But there, again, that higher part of ourselves is saying, that's an illusion. That's like, whatever you want to call it, the devil who's like, oh, just come with me and I'll give you everything you ever wanted. But there's a catch. You have to live by my, you're beholden to what I say goes. So it, it really does I think it's important to get support in place when we first make those choices, especially if it's like in your case where it was ten, over 10 years you're with this person, that's like a huge life transition. And if we don't, we don't have people who we can turn to and who can kind of help us recalibrate into what reality is like, no, that's not a great thing. And yes, you can do this because it also, the PTSD is real. It's such a strange phenomenon. You're like, what happened to me? Why am I now vigilant about this? Why am I paranoid about this? Why am I always worried that somebody's going to get mad at me? You have to start to recognize that something has developed within you as a result of what you've um, subjected yourself to for all these years. And it's the same with addiction. When you finally get sober, you're like, what the heck do I do with this big mess of a person that I feel like I am? And, but, uh, you know, I think you and I are testaments and for whoever's listening, you can hear that it is absolutely possible to return to yourself in a way that you have never even known is possible where you feel at peace with yourself. You accept yourself that you recognize that you don't need anybody else to heal you or to make you feel of value or worth. You can feel it on your own. And that's the best feeling in the world because that's a sense of freedom. You're free from, you know, sort of the, the exhausting efforts that you and I made to just try and have somebody else tell us that you are good enough it's so uh, cliche and I, and I put it in the book because the moment I met my husband was the moment I said, you know what? I think I'm just happy being on my own. <laughs> I thought right? to get married my whole life. I never fantasize about children, for example, but I always fantasize about being married and being in a, you know, great relationship and having a, a marriage, a loving marriage. And it was in that moment after all the work I did after that relationship and the recovery that I thought, you know, I am, I'm actually really good. If, if I stay like this, if I'm going to be single the rest of my life, I'm really okay with that. And of course, in that moment, boom, shows up. I met my husband. And I just want to mention here that not because my husband shows up, then that's the, you know, the end of the story, you know, the, the, and they lived happily ever after. And I put it that, I put that in the book because yeah. I also had to deal with some PTSD after I met my husband, yeah. because again, I was still like, oh, is he going to say this to me? Is he going to be mad at this? Is he so, but like you said, just coming back to a circle here, when you're with a person that makes you feel safe, that is a, this person creates a safe space for you. 
and you feel it, you know the difference now because you've, you've been in other places that don't feel that way. But when you're in a safe space, that allows your uh, nervous system to recalibrate and to heal. And that's what happened with me. So the first year of when I met my husband, I was still very paranoid. I was still very alert. I was still um, monitoring everything that I said, everything I wore, because in my mind, again, still in that other relationship. But with time, with love, with patience, I started to realize, okay, I'm not there. This is not that same person. I'm in a different place now. I have my own back. It's going to be okay. Even if this doesn't work, I'm okay being with just by myself. It's going to be fine. And eventually all of that just went away. I don't think about that anymore. I feel completely safe, not only with my husband, but also in my own body. I feel safe. So beautiful and so inspiring to hear that and that you're now sharing your story so that others can know that it is possible and that it's, it's not, it doesn't mean that there is anything wrong with you, that if you go through this, almost all of us incur trauma early in life from even before you even speak to your book, Sylvia, which I think is powerful about birth trauma. The state of our mother when we're in the womb has a huge impact influence on how we feel about life and ourselves. Right. And again, we have similar stories there where I was, I came into the world from a mother who was at a really desperate place. She wasn't well with her health mentally. She was, she recognized quickly that the person that she married, who she thought was going to support her was totally absent father. And she was alone and she already had one kid and had me knocked up like a few months after. So I'm only 13 months apart from my brother. So, you know, she was scared and anxious and she, you know, just like you're, she wasn't ready for another kid. I was an unwanted pregnancy and not that she wasn't delighted to have me, but you know, when you're in there and you're like, I didn't choose this, but I don't feel like I wanted you feel it at a cellular level when somebody is anxious and not fully embracing you and welcoming you into the world. And I think that that even lays the foundation for this. And maybe that's what led us to be like, does anyone want me? Anybody like who does everybody want to? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, well, um, and you, if anyone would offer me, even if it's just five minutes of love, I'll take it. Yeah. Or just a few crumbs. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah I, I totally agree with you. Sometimes we don't realize, but those things made a huge, make a huge impact in our lives. They do. And then sometimes it takes all that time that it took you to get out of those relationships and say, I'm going to give it to myself. I'm tired of asking other people to love me so that I can love myself. I'm tired of trying to tell people to convince me that I am okay. And you're like, I'm just going to do it. And then just as you said, you end up in this place where you're like, I am actually okay. And I don't, if I have somebody great, but if not, I have a life. And I think, you know, once we go through all that, I'm sure you felt this way as well, but you just want to help others who have been through it. And you realize that you don't have to look a certain way or have certain things that you can do your heart work just as you are, despite all any perceived flaws or things that used to keep us saying like, oh, I, I need something so that I, you know, I'm approvable. I'm good enough. But when you recognize like, I actually don't, I can just do my soul's work and I can live a peaceful, ha happy life. And how great is that? And just as you said, so often that's when all of a sudden somebody comes in like, hi, I actually, there's a quote that I love that says, be brave enough to accept your flaws and a soulmate will tug at your sleeve. 
And it's mm. sort of that idea that like, once you finally surrender and say, this is who I am and I, I love it. And I'm going to spend my life loving this. And then all of a sudden someone's like, Hey, can I join you? <laughs> You're like, oh, it's, I love that quote. It's so beautiful. And I also have to say, I hated it when people told me that when I wasn't in that place to yeah. do it and people say, would well, you just have to surrender? You just have to, I, was like, I don't know how to do that. It just, it, it, it happens in the right moment don't look for it don't look to surrender just for surrendering or because people tell you or, or a beautiful quote says you have to let go of love so love come, comes back to you no no do whatever you need to do to feel good about yourself and the surrendering comes and the acceptance comes on its own it, you don't have to seek it because if you seek it then you're doing it from the same place yeah um, so that's what I learned too I wasn't thinking about it until I realized gosh I'm, I love my life <laughs> I wasn't thinking about doing it for that reason. I just built my life in a way that I loved it. I was so in love with my life that I thought I can do this for the rest of my life and I'm okay. Would you mind telling us how you did meet your now husband? Because I, I always love hearing meet stories. <laughs> so uh, back in Costa Rica. Oh, right. Uh, so, yeah, you're from Costa Rica. I am from Costa Rica. I know. I've Amazing. I live in Tennessee now, but um so I was in Costa Rica again after this this other relationship um that I lived abroad came back home lived with my mom healed a lot with my mom and that year I gotta say that was also important uh that mother-daughter relationship in my 30s and um I attended a conference a friend recommended it was a interspiritual conference uh, I really wasn't that into it but I'm like well this friend recommended so I'm gonna go and it's not that expensive I get there I go to registration and comes this in comes this gentleman, uh, gorgeous to my eyes. And I'm like, hi, I think I'm going to stay at this conference. And long story short, that's my husband. <laughs> Did he talk? To, like, how'd you end up talking? How'd you end up hanging out and getting so, married? <laughs> of course, I couldn't take my eyes over. This is I didn't I don't don't ask me about the conference because I don't remember a thing I was just because he was also the photographer so I just kept looking at the photographer coming in and out of the room um and I ended up getting so connected with the directors of the organization I connected with them and ended up working with them I still volunteer for their organization and because I was working with them and all that I connected and then that's how that's how Patrick and I also connected because then I came to another conference and he was there and then that's how we reconnected. But I remember going back that night after the first conference and I said to my mom, this is it. And my mom was like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, this is it. I know. And she's like, you're crazy. He lives in another country. And I'm like, this is it, mom. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. But then it sounds like you all ended up talking that you didn't have to force it, that you all- Nothing. No, no, no. Then that the the whole thing was just it was so beautiful how everything moved. Um, that's it's a longer story and I, and we love telling it, but it was very synchronistic. And again, this whole part of saying this is it, I think that was the result again of just being so clear about what I really wanted in life that my intuition just knew in that moment. Just the first day of being with him, I knew that he was he was going to be my husband. Wow. And do you mind sharing how old were you when you met him? Oh my gosh, 33, 
anymore. <laughs> so yes. I just like people to share that because, you know, we have such strong structures and standards about when you're supposed to have met somebody and be married. And it's just so unfortunate because it causes so much grief. And I think it also causes people to hold on to and stay in situations that are not the ultimate highest experience because they're scared of what are people going to think? Of course. And, and, and like we mentioned for women, unfortunately, this whole biological or, you know, you're getting old thing, uh, it's still out there. And I definitely felt that at some moments in my life, like, oh, I'm hitting my 30s something. I should be getting married now. Like all my friends were getting married and having kids. And again, it was that moment when I met my husband that I was completely okay. I'm like, I can see myself being with myself in my 40s and my 50s and my 60s and my 70s. It's going to be okay. So yeah, I was around 32, 33 when I met him. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing your story. And then would you mind sharing with us just if you, you know, you write about this in your book, but some of your key points as far as what does a healthy relationship look like since you've been in a not so healthy one. And then now you're in a healthy one. What are some, because again, people can almost be kind of brainwashed and not recognize, or it's like the analogy of the fish in the water. Like you get so used to it that you're like, no, it's totally normal for someone to consistently question where I'm going, what I'm doing. It's fine. They just care about me. Right. So what, what would you say a healthy relationship looks like? I think it is, I know it sounds cliche, but you have to have a lot of good communication and, and the safe, again, the safe container to do it, to say whatever you need to say without feeling judgment or attack from the other person there's got to be also moments of just joy and enjoy, just fun. That's also part of a healthy relationship. It can't be all work, which I also thought for, for a while, I thought, well, we need to work on ourselves and keep like, you know, going to therapy, you know, and it's important, but it can't be all work. It has to be a combination of fun, of complicity, of friendship, of also physical intimacy uh that it feels like your home it feels like this person treats you exactly like you want to be treated like you treat yourself again it has to start with yourself you gotta first of all love accept treat yourself well and then that person has to do it the same or even better i, I mean relationships can look a lot of ways it just it has to feel good for yourself it has to allow growth both people have to be committed to the relationship and to themselves. I think that's what a healthy relationship looks to me. Thank you so much for that. Powerful and very, very true, right? Spot on. And also what, what were some things that you were able to do? Because it really is true that until we fully accept ourselves, it's hard to meet somebody who's really going to value us. Because if we don't know our worth, or we might not even believe it if somebody else does. And we're going to be more, again, more attuned with people who don't see our worth, right? We, we meet people where we're at. If we don't know our worth, those are the people we're meeting. We have to rise up to the level of I know and see myself as I am. And then we're going to meet these people that are like, hi, hey, you're amazing. And you're like, yeah, I know. But it can be so hard. I'm still not quite there. And I'm 37, almost 38. And I still haven't met somebody and I still am at a place where I'm like, how do I get over these last hurdles? And I guess there's maybe you don't accept it fully, but what would you say? What were some things that helped you to like move through the things that you felt you couldn't accept about yourself or love about yourself? I got to say, I'm um, not a hundred percent 
you know there yet i think it's a it's a lifelong journey first of all i want to say that because if someone is listening and going well i don't really accept myself uh so i'm not really there no 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 you're good and also that's part of the accepting accepting where you are <laughs> accepting that you don't accept yourself for example um accepting that you don't love yourself so that's where we start so it's it's something that I still do every day I think I just started by working with my inner child because it was easier for me to accept and love my little girl inside and that's where that's where it all began I think we are a bit more compassionate and open to do that with a child than with an adult uh for some reason we're more tolerant and patient with children so I started with my inner child and I think that love that I that I have for her, it just starts to overflow and 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 get into other parts of me, and meaning my my teenager and my adult and my, you know, all the other parts of me start to feel that love and that acceptance. And like I say, sometimes I bump into situations where I'm not there yet, but I then I say to myself, we're working on it, and and I use that that I love about Tignan Han like it's okay darling and we're we're getting there and that's it's okay not to be there yet and it's okay that we're not accepting ourselves right now uh it's okay and it'll happen and so i think that's a very big part for me it's the being patient with yourself knowing that you're in the process it's almost like in that moment then acceptance comes <laughs> you know what i mean you're not looking for it and it just comes yeah. So beautiful. Well, Sylvia, thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. Also for doing the work that it takes to get this beautiful book out into the world. Cause it takes a lot to put our experience and our message out there into written word. <laughs> it's a labor of love. It's a, it's a creative birth and it, the world is better for it. And I have benefited from this book. I know that it will benefit many people because I don't, there's not enough of this out there. There's not enough people speaking to the fact that we, we're the ones that keep perpetuating these cycles. If when we're having unhealthy relationships and there's a reason it doesn't mean that we're just self-destructive and just, you know, don't like love it's coming from a deeper place. And the more that we speak to that and offer this, we can again, make a change and say, well, then what happens if I actually move into a place of love and acceptance, beautiful yeah. things can happen. Oh, thank you so much. You're, you're a testament to. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, Sylvia, this has been just lovely. If people would like to find out more about you, find your books, how can they find you? Well, all my books right now are on Amazon. And uh, I guess the easiest thing will be to go to my website, sylviaariat.com. I know that's a little hard to spell, but <laughs> I'll have uh, it in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah. A-R-A-Y-A. -A -A. I'm using my maiden name. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. So wherever we can connect. And like you said, and, and use, you know, our experiences to serve and to support other people, then let's do that. Let's do it. We are doing it. That's it. <laughs> All right, Sylvia. Well, thanks again so much. Mm. Take care. That wraps up our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening to Women Waken. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and come back for more. If you'd like to connect with the Women Waken community, you can find us on Instagram at Women Waken. 
And if you follow Women Waken, you can get a free tarot card reading if you just send a DM. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and don't forget to let your unique light shine into this world.